What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sears Angler Podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Agbrett, and uh, I'm not joined with me tonight. We are captainless. We are without Mr. Andy Full. Uh, if you guys missed the fantasy fishing show last night uh, and didn't get the scoop on the news, as of 11.34 a.m. yesterday, Andy became a father of two girls. Uh, so he had a second girl yesterday morning. Uh, so you guys, if you haven't, uh, reach out to Andy, say congrats. Uh, she, uh, mama and baby are happy and healthy. Uh, baby apparently has been sleeping really well. So Andy's happy so far. Uh, so again, big congrats to the full family that, uh, has grown by one this week and we're super pumped and Andy, I'm sure will be back, but obviously he's taking his time, making sure all is well at home because he literally did just move into a new house, uh, just a few weeks ago. So, a lot going down in the full household, but we're happy for him. Uh, and we'll get Andy back on here shortly. You guys will have the captain back to uh, to add his twist to things. But uh, tonight, you guys are stuck with me. Uh, and it's going to be a really fun show. We got two guests coming on. Uh, Mr. Steve Estes from Bass Fish Electronics and Mr. Matt Becker, who has not been on the show in a while. Uh, so I'm pumped to get them back on because we're going to be talking about some ele- fish electronics, some little maybe some secrets, some hacks, some mods. I'll try to pry as much out of these guys as I can. I know they got a lot bottled up uh, in their very knowledgeable brains, but uh, we'll be talking about a bunch of different stuff in regards to fishing electronics. So if you guys have questions, fire them into the chat because we'll bring them up on the screen and talk about them, answer as many as we can get to. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and before we get them on the shows quickly, if you guys have not done your fantasy fishing picks for Lake Murray this weekend, we had our show last night on that where we uh, went through our picks, predictions, and such. Uh, make sure you guys check out that show if you want any help with your selections. But uh, beyond that, that was all, that's all the news I have for you guys. We'll have a little bit more at the end when we let these guys go. But without further ado, let's bring on our guest for today's show, Mr. Matt Becker, Mr. Steve S. What's going on, boys? Hey. How you boys doing? Well, you know, I'm I'm a little bit in between tournaments, so I, I kind of turned into a, a laborer. I was out working on the yard all day and doing landscaping, building the driveway. I mean, just just slaving away. So it's it's not as fun as the fishing side of things. No, you're getting put to work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Steve, what about you, man? How are things up in your neck of the woods? No, we're just, we're crazy busy up here. Shop's full of boats. We got six boats in here right now. We're just, uh, just rolling through. Uh, everybody's getting their stuff out and on the water. So we're, we're rocking and rolling up here. Yeah. I was going to say, this has got to be kind of peak season for you guys, right? When turnover. Yeah. Especially up in this neck of the woods. Uh, everybody's getting their boats out. So it's definitely a little crazy right now. Yeah. Yep, everyone's getting ready, getting antsy, getting their tax returns, and they're like, let's go see Steve and get hooked up. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're people that kind of came to fruition of all the winter probably tampering with their stuff. They're like, oh, I should probably get this done right. I'm going to take this over to Steve. That way I don't don't break anything that they more than they've already broken, I'm sure, throughout the winter. But uh, it was full-fledged here uh, in the Northeast this past weekend in regards to at least – uh, seeing, you know, like Erie and some of our Finger Lakes, uh, I don't know if I've seen this many boats out this early in the year. Like, honestly, even more than it was COVID year, which kind of surprised. But when it's 80 degrees 
you, you got your jet skiers and wake boaters and your, their wetsuits that are already out and about, which is kind of depressing. But the season, <laughs> at least for us Northeasterners, season's back. Well, actually, Matt, we can't even call you a Northeasterner. You, you've <laughs> since moved since we've had you last on the show. Still at heart, I guess. You know, I, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, but I've, yeah, I moved to Tennessee in the fall. So I'm slowly turning into that Southern redneck, I guess. well throughout the winter we'll be severely jealous but this time of year i guess we're we're not steve and i aren't too jealous of you being able to fish all year round yeah this i mean i was just up north this past weekend so like i'm i'm driving north now to go fun fishing and that's when i'm i'm missing it yeah yeah i heard that um but steve so for this time, for this show, like I mentioned uh, earlier in the intro to folks, where we diving deep into fish and electronics, which obviously you've been on several shows where we, we've talked about this because this is, you know, this is your niche, this is uh, your forte. So I, I'm glad to get you on here because we need your expertise. Because if it was just me, I think people would laugh at me on this this show. As <laughs> I love electronics. We need the professionals, so that's why we got you and Matt on here. Um, before we start kind of diving into the nitty gritty, I don't know that I've ever asked you, Steve, of how you went down this career path of fishing electronics. Like what kind of sparked that obsession for rigging boats, getting super deep into how these electronics and different products work? Like what, what kind of ignited that to bring Bass Fishing Electronics to fruition? Yeah, it, on, it just started out honestly trying to afford to go up to Lake Champlain every weekend. And um, that's kind of what fueled this whole deal. I was selling used electronics on eBay and, and that's where it all began. Uh, just buying used fish finders off Bass Boat Central and eBay and just reselling them. And it just snowballed over the course of a couple of years. And now it's uh, the last two years, it's just skyrocketed into full-fledged business, you know all around the country and we got guys driving up from pennsylvania new york maine vermont all over the place so it's it's pretty cool how quickly it's grown heck yeah and matt i'll kick kind of the same question over to you but more in the the angler sense of what was the first like fish finder or fishing technology that you had your hands on during your fishing career yeah i'll never forget that so i i would like this was years ago. I can't even remember how old I was. I was probably, you know, 14 or 15. And like, I saved up all this money all year and was waiting for, uh, actually it was the tackle warehouse black Friday sale. And I bought my first Lawrence eight. I think it was an HTS five. Like the tiny is like a phone screen. If you compare it to what we have now, it was the tiniest little thing. And uh, it, it, you know, it was a GPS and sonar, and it, it actually had a, a side imaging transducer. And I thought I had the best of the best, you know. I ha- had that on, like, a little 16-foot boat, and I would just go around. And really, like, I really learned everything off of that little tiny thing and then kind of expanded. And, and as they uh, – each each unit evolved and new, new – uh, settings came out a new new thing new uh whatever new technology came out i just would always get that as soon as i could and a lot of that really came through like uh the state team program so i was fishing Mm -hmm. like the pennsylvania bass nation stuff and when you make that state team 
they would offer like a 50 or 60% discount on Lawrence or Hummingbird stuff. So I'd always try and take advantage of that. And that allowed me to get bigger and better things as, you know, I worked up the ranks fishing. Yeah. I think that deal, I, I don't know, I guess I haven't been in the nation ranks or around it or even involved with it in the past couple of years. I don't know if those are still existing and, but like those 50, 60% off deals were like, but no one was trying for any pro staff deals. Cause that was like the, the thing for folks to save a lot of money on. Oh, like, for sure. For sure. That was the deal. And I mean, that's even, you know, that's, that's better than some of the dealer costs. So it was, yeah. it was like the best deal you could get from Lorraine. So it was, it was really good. And like I said, that allowed me to get, you know, a little bit better stuff, like into like a seven and a nine or finally, you know, after four or five years, I, I upgraded to like a 12 inch, but I mean, I started using the tiniest little things and, and they all, do the same things that the bigger ones do. It's just, you know, I've kind of learned that it makes my life easier now that this is all I do to have the bigger screens and have multiple of them on the boat, but you really don't need all of them. You can get it all done with one unit as well. Right. And, and that's a little bit what we're going to get into tonight uh, is you get a lot of people that they ask the question, they're like, what are the advantages of, of going from a seven to a seven inch screen to a nine inch screen? If it has the same capabilities, what are my, what are the benefits of doing, of doing that? Uh, so we can kind of just kick it off here because I, I really wanted to, to talk about this show or talk about this topic on this show, because a lot, especially with the, the craze of forward facing sonar and all the different things going on. And I feel like a lot of people are buying a lot of technology and there's not a lot of information on how to best utilize that technology. So that's what we're going to try to bring uh, bring out tonight and kind of help dispel for for folks that are either getting into electronics that are buying all this new technology and don't really have great guidance into where to steer that. Because, uh, I mean, especially for facing sonar now where it's guys expect expecting to buy it and, and automatically start catching more fish, which is not the case. <laughs> uh, it's the people that can use it as an added tool to already their skill set that know how to use it well. And I'm, you can perfectly attest to that, Matt and Steve. Um, yeah, that's, it's just a tool. You know, everyone thinks you just, you buy it and hang it on the boat and they just start jumping in your boat. But I mean, if you look, it's the same as like the Alabama rig. If you look at the standings, it's the same guys winning. They just use the tool to the most of their advantage. So like it, it doesn't matter what, like you could, you could get rid of forward facing sonar. Jacob Wheeler's still going to be the best in the world. It doesn't matter what, like, doesn't matter what he has, what he's using. It just, you, as long as the rules allow it, you're going to use it and you're going to be the best at it. And the same guys are going to put in the time and the work to become really good at whatever technology you give them. It doesn't matter. So I, I always get fired up with that argument because it, it doesn't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. what, just tell us the rules and, and the same guys are going to win. And it's allowing the good guys to get even better, right? Because they're able to better yeah. understand fish movement, fish behavior, all that. But those guys were already good. They didn't just come out of the woodworks and start winning tournaments. You know, that that's uh, that's I don't understand that argument about live scope being, you know, the end all be all. And it's going to ruin the sport. I, the guys that like Matt said, the guys that were good are, are the guys that are doing good now. Are, we're already doing good. So. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, the fish, the fish are always going to win like they're. 
they're already changing. They're, they're adjusting to whether they hear it or feel it. Like it, things are already, already changing. The fisheries are changing. So mother nature will always win. It's never like we'll be able to wipe out a whole population of fish. That's just not possible. Yeah. And that's the one thing I firmly believe anyone that's really out there and, and raving about how horrible this forward facing sonar is probably hasn't used it. Or if exactly. they have, they got so spun out because they don't know what they're looking at or how to use it pro- like efficiently that that's why they are against it. But like, like to Steve made a great point of like, from a science standpoint of what we, we are learning about the fish is worth its weight in gold i think even take tournaments like and you can remove the tournament side of it just what we're learning as anglers about bass and how there's this new caliber of fish that sets up that we never knew existed there i think has been i don't know if you can really speak to what that's done from bass fishing it's definitely made fisheries more pressured but i think it's making fisheries adapt as well no, I mean, I've learned so much on it. Just like, like you said, you, you know, you're not even necessarily catching them off of it anymore, but just knowing that the fish get around and float around in some of the middle of these pockets, like we always suspected, but we never could can really confirm it. But now, you know, we've learned so much about um, just fish behavior and how they move, especially in that pre-spawn, you know, especially largemouth in that pre-spawn, you know, they'll get out in the middle of a pocket and just float up in the middle and uh, really be on nothing. So, you know, even if you took my forward facing sonar away, I would still try and target those fish. You know, it, it would be a lot more difficult and, you know, you definitely wouldn't be nearly as efficient, but you could still throw a jerk bait or a swim bait and count it down a couple feet and fish in the middle of nowhere and granted, you'd be a lot less efficient in putting it on their nose, but you could still catch some of those fish that we now know a lot of them live out there that we really couldn't confirm that before, but now we do. Yeah, that was that was actually something I learned this past weekend that I had like a small inkling about, but never tried to act on seeing if it was uh, true or if it was a consistent thing, but you know, leading up to this past weekend that we had three days of 80 degrees and sun and no wind, uh, it's, it's been cold. So that rapid, you know, warming trend really accelerated a lot, a lot of our lakes from a temperature standpoint. And I was out fishing my normal pre-spawn stuff and I would typically, I'd pan out with forward and where it's like super deep water. And I just see these bigger blobs that are like a foot under the surface. And to me, I'm thinking they're carp, but like, some of them were like getting 10 feet away. So I was, I mean, me being in the kayak, of course. So I just, I stood up and looked over visually at him and there's a four pound largemouth that's just sitting subsurface, just sunning himself. Yeah, I'm sitting there. It's, it's very, I, I would have never known that. I mean, unless obviously, you know, paying, paying more attention from visual cues, if I didn't, you know, use forward facing to see that. So it was, it was super cool. But uh, I, I feel like we're going to go on many forward facing sonar tangents later in this episode so i want to start off a little bit more basic of like one of the original questions we had at the beginning was like what are the advantages some growing like from a seven inch screen to a nine or from a nine to say a 12 uh steve do you think you could you could speak to that like what are the biggest bigger advantages just from going to a bigger screen yeah so i i think you know a seven inch screen 
in this day and age with the prices, the sale prices and all that on stuff that they've made it affordable to get a nine inch and jumping from a seven inch to a nine inch is, is the biggest jump in the, the different sizes, in my opinion. I mean, a seven inch, you can't, in my opinion, you can't effectively use side imaging with a seven inch fish finder or for forward facing for that matter. Um, but when you get up to a nine inch, that's where you get to the point where you can distinguish structure and, you know, grass, whatever it is on, on side imaging. And, and I think that's why a nine inch, you know, that's where I push all of my customers too. I mean, I don't sell hardly any seven inch screens because I just feel like you can't, you're going to have a really crunched down screen for mapping, you know, sonar doesn't really matter. You, you know, it's great for that if you just use it for sonar, but right. if you're just getting into it, I think a nine inch is really where you need to start so you can effectively use your side imaging. And, and that's kind of where I think it all starts for, for most of us, right. When we're first getting into it is understanding side imaging and, and really utilizing that, that uh, technology. Right. And there might be some misconceptions that when they think, you know, if you go up in screen size that it's more pixels, but it's really just taking the image of what you're seeing and, and kind of blowing it up, zooming in, if you will. Am I correct? Yeah. It's a, if you go up to a 12 inch, right, which is what most of most of the guys run a 12 inch screen. I mean, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I run a 16 inch at the console just so I can have the biggest side imaging uh, possible. I guess you could run two 12s and split it, but uh, it just makes it so much easier to see those rock piles, see the fish around the rock piles and stuff like that. So the bigger you go, the easier it is for side imaging and, and for forward facing. Right. Matt, you got anything you want to add on that? No, I, I pretty well agree with that. You know, um, obviously the, like you said, the bigger the screen, the more image you're able to get on there and, and see it. So you just see that those little details and nuances a lot better. Um, I don't know if it's still the case, but I remember, you know, when I was getting started into electronics that, that some of the smaller screens wouldn't let you use as many split screens at the same time. As so I think there was, you know, on the, on the seven inch, you can only do two or three screens on the, the single screen, like split the screen three ways. But whereas when you got to the nine or the 12, you could do it four or five or what, whatever. The, I forget what exactly it was, but I don't know if that's still the case, but that was just definitely a deciding factor for me to, to lean towards the, the nine inch. And honestly, I, I could still get away with using a, a nine inch. I had a, a Garmin nine inch with my live scope just two years ago that I was using. So it, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't matter. You know, the nine inch screen does the exact same thing that the 12 inch screen does. And with the price, that's the, the Garmin nine inch screen is generally what I push people to when they're trying to get into the, the forward facing game for sure. Right. I'm trying to fathom going back to years ago when I had a seven inch screen and then going to the multiple view. So making your screen even smaller, yeah. and trying to look, I couldn't fathom trying to do that right now. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so one thing, one thing I will add to that. So that, you know, there's all these different ways to split your screens. You know, you can do it side by side or above and below. And no matter what size screen you have, you always want to make sure your side imaging is the whole width of the screen. So I always see guys that split their side imaging and use it on like the left side of their screen, and they're just totally missing all the detail they could. So 
like you always want to split it so it'd be on the top or the bottom if, if you're splitting your screen so that way you have the full width of the screen with your side imaging and that even that's even if you have a 12 or 16 inch screen like you don't want to cut that in half and have all your side imaging on that so you always want to make sure it's the full width of the screen that is a great point because that is like one of my pet peeves when i see a guy that has like a four box going and then one of them is side imaging. Oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> me, too. me too. I got to have it full screen. I completely yeah. agree. It's screen. really not useful if you get it split down like that. You can't see anything. I mean, a, a boulder is going to look like a fish at that point if it's that small, you know, it, <laughs> you, you got to have it wide for sure. It's a, it's a great point. Yeah. 1000%. Um, Speaking of that, actually, I'm kind of curious. Now that I just mentioned I have a pet peeve when it comes to freaking fishing electronics, do you guys have any pet peeves when it comes to anything like outstanding when you think about that? That's one of them right there, for that sure. Yeah. Steve? I'm, I'm not going to get into pet peeves because I read books, so <laughs> I can here all night and go off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can get on a roll with these. I mean, some of the other ones, like you see guys that, that will have like have two units on their console and having the exact same setup on both sides. Like they'll have a map and a sonar and a map and a sonar on this. Like you have two units doing the exact same thing. Like what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that one too, where it's like they have like three different mapping screens going where it's yeah. not even like a different chip. And it's like yeah. two of them are the same. Like, yeah. yeah, I just want to have oh, one. It's, it's, in a little more. It's funny that you bring that up because I don't think a lot of people realize like on a Lorance, you can have two mapping screens. And when I'm running down the lake, that's actually the screen that I use. I'm, I'm using my 2D sonar and then I have two map screens on there because it's kind of nice. You can have one zoomed in so you can see all the contours of any of the shoals. Mm-hmm. And then the second map screen, you can have zoom way out, you know, if you're making a long run and you can get an idea on where you're going. So. There is, there is some need for that. Uh, the three, I wouldn't understand, but it, it is kind of cool. I don't think a lot of people realize you could have two maps on there. Yep. Yeah. You just split the screen and do chart on both of them. And, and I'll do that. And now uh, you can overlay like Google Earth on there as well. So that way, you, you know, you can see whether it's, you know, the lake was low or there's docks or whatever. You can see all that right on your, your Lorance. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially from a running aspect. I guess that's one that's one facet of electronics that being in a kayak, I don't have to worry too much about because I'm not running very fast anywhere, so I don't got to worry about it. Yeah, you're, you're more worried about people looking at their grass while they're running. <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah, exactly. It actually took me a second to realize what you're saying. Yeah, people are just but, in there looking at their map and they're going to run you over. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. Um, we actually have some, so we have some really good questions uh, coming through on the chat, and I want to get to those, but really fast before we break into some of those, um, just from another basic standpoint, someone uh, invests in upgrading their graph or it's their first graph, you know, fish finder, you know, settings. I think when they break into their units, regardless of brand, people always talk about different settings, this and that. When they, when they open it for the first time it's kind of overwhelming on like all the different things you can do to make your screen different. And I think uh, it'd be cool to kind of see your, both of your opinions on just from getting started, 
like someone that wants SI, you know, sonar mapping, just like what best situation to do when it comes to your settings, what to alter if alter at all. Uh, and Steve, I'll kick that over to you first. Yeah, I mean, my, I think, I think leaving it on auto is the biggest overlooked thing when you buy a new graph. I think a lot of people want to go in and they want to change, you know, take it off of auto and start changing their contrast or, you know, whatever it is, different brands have different settings. But I, my biggest advice to anybody just getting into it is to leave that on auto. Uh, like a Lawrence, you know, your side imaging, put it on auto, go plus or minus four you know, on the auto that, and just depending on what frequency and depth you're at, but, um, you know, everybody asks me, I, I get this question weekly, you know, can we go out on the water and, and you go through the settings with me? And I, I just tell people, honestly, I mean, my, my personal graphs are on auto for the most part. I don't go crazy with settings. And I think a lot of people go down a rabbit hole with that and, and you just really don't need to. Wow. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. So like when I, I get new new units put on the boat, you know, whatever, beginning of the year, I'm setting up my boat. You know, really the the main things I adjust is just the, the color palettes that I like that I'm used to. So I run Lowrance for, for side imaging and down imaging and sonar. So I'll change up the colors that I'm used to. I like uh, the black and white one for, for the down imaging just because – when you see a fish on the down imaging, it's going to be a white mark on a black background. So it's going to show up better than some of the other colors. That's my theory on it. That's just what I've used for a while and I've become just familiar with it. And then the side imaging, I use one of the blue colors. I, I don't know the numbers or anything, but as far as settings, you know, like really the only thing you, you change is the sensitivity and you just bump it up or down a couple of clicks, leaving it on auto. So you just, you leave it on auto and, and either go a minus two or plus two, just depending on like water clarity and depth and stuff like that. So it, but the auto settings are dang good. You're just really just dialing in that extra little detail with those settings. Um, I do like, I will take my, like my range off of auto. That's one thing that I adjust constantly. Um, so for side imaging, my, my rule of thumb is always like, I'll take the depth and multiply it by 10. So if hmm. it's two feet deep, you're only scanning 20 feet and realistically seeing everything. But if it's 10 feet deep, you can see a hundred feet. So that that's my, theory on that and it works really well you know if you get into deeper water you can see further obviously and, and you might have to adjust your sensitivity accordingly but as a general rule of thumb if you take the depth and times it by 10 that's what you want to shoot out either side and, and it really really gives you the best image and and you can see the most without you know blurring out stuff or blacking out the screen right i think i think one thing too and i think matt you run yours the same way but on the side imaging, you know, I prefer to run my Lowrance at 455. And, you know, they got this new active imaging HD with the 1.75 kilohertz, you know, side imaging. And I still continue to run it at 455 because, like like you said, I mean, if you're in 20 feet of water, I can scan out 160, 180 feet and clearly see rocks, you know, that that far yeah. out. So I think nope, that I agree. Yep. I use that, that 455. Um, frequency for, for the side imaging, but 
kind of going with that, I mean, it goes back to the installation and, and you got to have the transducer mounted right. And, you know, Steve makes that jack plate bracket for the active imaging transducer and it kind of lowers it down a little bit and gets it like away from the boat and the prop wash. So you get a crystal clear image, even at, you know, speeds of like seven, eight, nine mile an hour. So you can kind of like fast idle and still get that perfect image. Whereas, you know, if you mount it a little differently, if you mount it to the, the boat itself and not to the jack plate, it kind of gets some disturbance once you get moving that fast and, and you lose a little of that clarity. So, I mean, it goes back to installation and, and knowing what you're getting into. But as far as settings, like like we said, it's pretty simple. You keep it on auto and maybe maybe tweak the sensitivity up or down a little bit here and there. And other than that, as far as down imaging, side imaging, and sonar, like, turn it up you take it out of the box and turn it on and and Lawrence anyway has it pretty dialed in yeah i think one thing too to note for folks that are either watching or listening like to backtrack a little for a second like steve when you mentioned putting it out 160 feet type of deal like that's when you're you're looking specifically just for like cover and structure on bottom where versus that's probably not like what you're going to be running when you're looking for like, for schools of fish correct? Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not down on like the Tennessee river system or any of that. So I'm not really looking for schools of fish with smallmouth. So, right. um, you know, Champlain, I mean, I'm not saying you can't find any offshore schools, but I, I'm not really looking for that when I'm side imaging. So I'm more so looking, yeah, structure, rocks, trees, grass, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I've been in the boat with people before, and they'll be, they'll be, I'll be in the passenger seat and they're graphing along and they'll have it on like 140 or something like that. And there's a fairly big blob on there. He goes, Oh, that must, that might be a bass. And I'm like, There's no way that you're seeing that fish. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. going to be a tiny little speck at that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, like that, that's what, like, it literally gives you scale marks down the side that are 10 feet apart. And if you see the blob on there, like, think about how small a 20 inch bass would be in there. Like, <laughs> that brings up a point though to which i haven't got to see personally yet but Lawrence has this new uh active imaging hd with fish reveal coming and and i'll be honest when i first heard about it i thought they're just blowing smoke but i've seen a couple screenshots now and it's definitely piqued my interest because it actually showed white dots above rock piles like 80 feet mm -hmm. out to the side so um Something to look out for. I don't know yet without personally seeing it, but that could that could be a whole new uh, aspect of side imaging. So kind of like utilizing a forward-facing technology of like the... No, so they have like a... There's a 2D sonar beam built into it. I don't know all the technicalities of it, but it's somehow shooting that 2D sonar out to the side um, and showing the fish, you know, the, the fish reveal for down imaging, I think was kind of a flop, but... Um, it could be interesting. Definitely anxious to see that come out. It hasn't been released yet. But. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see that. Yeah, me too. You know, I just got the uh, the active imaging HD, but it doesn't have the fish reveal yet. I guess it's a different transducer. But even that new HD transducer, like the the detail of fish sitting on hard bottom, like Lawrence has always struggled with that. That's where Hummingbird has excelled in the side imaging is seeing fish off to the side on your side imaging 
Um, look, Hummingbird's always been better at that, but this new transducer from Lawrence, I'm really impressed with it. You know, I was able to scan like some sand flats in Erie and see, you know, 20 smallmouth sitting off to my right, 60, 70 feet away, just see them sitting down there. So it was pretty cool. And I was really impressed with it. I can't wait to get it out on Chickamauga or Gunnersville here for the next couple of tournaments and, and see if I can really find a big, big water offshore fish on the ledge. I don't know about you guys, but for whatever reason, I almost nerd out more at like finding fish on side imaging and gra- like when I find them graphing than I do like almost actually catching. The- it sounds horrible than actually catching the fish. I don't know yeah. if you guys are the same. If you get like you kind of get that adrenaline rush when you look on the side and you're like at the school right there, like you found like something juicy. I don't yeah, know. I mean that's the fun of it to me is finding them. You know, like. I've caught a lot of bass so far. So like, especially in Erie, like I was, I was honestly getting a little tired of catching some fish. So I was like, let me find something new. See if I can. So like when I find a new group of fish or a new spot, like I love it. Like I, that's what drives me is just finding that, that little nugget that no one else has found. And like, I couldn't even tell you how many hours I've spent behind the console idling and grasping, looking for that kind of stuff. And, and that's just what keeps me going because that really like the act of catching the fish isn't as fun to me as finding them and figuring them out. So like, that's what I'm always about is finding the new stuff. Heck yeah. Yeah. I could, I could definitely agree with that. Um, all right. So let's, let's break into a couple of the questions that are coming in. Uh, we have one here on forward facing. Uh, from Tackle Talk, the Tackle Talk Bass Fishing Podcast, uh, said he added uh, an LVS 34 uh, to the kayak. He's asking, how shallow is too shallow? Said he went as shallow as four feet, tried to angle his transducer to see in front of him. The far as he could get it clear was 20 feet. You guys have any comment on how shallow is too shallow for forward facing? Maybe the wrong mode? Yeah, well, I mean, I I can definitely use mine shallow. I, I don't know about four feet shallow. You could definitely see a little bit of what's going on, but you're definitely not going to see as far as if it was eight or ten feet deep. Um, right. You know, again, it, it kind of goes all back to installation, you know, especially with forward-facing sonar. The installation is so important and getting, getting the transducer installed right so it's shooting – the right direction and not a little bit crooked, perfectly straight. So I know Steve has talked about this a little bit and we'll let him dive into it. But like a zero degree mount is like super important, especially in the shallower water. So Matt, you had earlier at the beginning of the season, right? You were having a little trouble tracking your bait and that was just a simple little, you just shim the transducer just barely, right? Or just move it a little bit and that made all the difference. So, yep. I think that's the most overlooked. I mean, let's go back to the question real quick, you know, in four feet of water. I think perspective mode is where what's going to shine when you're in four feet. You can't go out in forward mode in four feet of water and think you're going to see anything really useful because 20 feet is realistic in four feet of water. I mean, maybe 30 or 40 feet with the perfect installation, but, um, you know, forward facing, I think, is a lot more valuable uh, in eight feet or more maybe even six feet, but I'd say eight feet or more, you know, is where it's really going to shine eight to 10 feet. I think you can comfortably see 60 feet out. And then once you get over 12 feet or 15 feet, you're going to see probably 
100 to 120 feet out in front. So, yeah, I think there is some unrealistic expectations on forward view. But if you're going that shallow, I think that's where you really need to utilize perspective or scout mode. I love that. Um, here, here's a great question for you guys. Um, it's from Anthony Geis asking, uh, he upgraded to a Helix 7 SI for the kayak. Would there be any difference between lead acid or lithium to power his unit? Yeah, lithium lithium makes a huge difference on fish finders. You you got to realize with a lead acid or an AGM, you're going to be running around 12.4, somewhere around there, 12.6. And, and as soon as you get down to, I don't know, 60, 70% dissipation or 50, I'm sorry, uh, like around 50%, that battery is really going to drop off. And as soon as your voltage starts to drop down into the low 12s, high 11s, you're really going to lose. You're going to get a lot of interference and a poor quality pitcher. So, you know, guys can't believe that you need eight gauge wire and a lithium battery. But if you if you run the proper gauge wire and a lithium battery, you're going to get 13.2 to 13.4 of your graphs all day long. And, and that I can't stress that enough how important that is. Yep, he nailed it. Uh, here's one question for you, Steve uh, and Matt. Feel free to take an at bat at this too. Um, with someone that's going to buy a new lithium, and obviously there's people that you know, like ourselves, that we work with X2 or pros that are working with different lithium brands. But someone that is getting into it wants to buy their first lithium. There's a million brands out there now. It seems how how do you from a just a, a consumer? getting their first lithium battery, how do you try to differentiate between what's good, what's not good from a brand standpoint? So the, there's so many different things in a lithium that, you know, cold shut off, cold weather shutoffs, you know, that some of these cheaper batteries that you're seeing on Amazon pop up, right? They're half the price. So they're very enticing, but those don't have the right BMS boards built into them. They don't have these temp shutoffs in them. Um, and the, the biggest thing, in my opinion, from a consumer standpoint is customer service, right? Because you're making a big investment into this battery. And if you're buying a little 20 amp hour for ice fishing, that's fine. Go buy a $60 battery on Amazon. You know, it's going to get the job done. But if you're putting something in your $70,000, $80,000 bass boat, doesn't have to be a bass boat, but anything, you know, you've, you're, you're investing all that money into Go with a reputable brand. You know, I, I can't stress that enough because it's going to pay off in the end with the customer service. If you ever have a problem, you got to be able to get somebody on the phone and, and have somebody to to back that battery up. And these no name brands you're seeing pop up everywhere. I've already seen several of them come and go just in a short span. So I don't think it's always best to go as cheap as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. That's for sure. And then, you know, it, Depending on your your situation or your setup, there's like there's cranking lithium batteries and then there's trolling lithium batteries. So if you're hooking your motor to it and running your electronics, so that's what I do. I actually have two of the that rely on RB100 HP. So they're designed to be a cranking battery. They can handle the the voltage coming in from the motor. That's where you know lithium kind of had an issue in the past, but that seems to be all taken care of now. But those, those batteries are designed to handle that. And I run two of them in parallel. So it basically just doubles the capacity of those two batteries and uh, just gives me, you know, 
endless amount of power. It's really an overkill setup, but I want to have 100% no doubt confidence that every time I turn my key, my motor's going to start. I'm never going to get stuck no matter how long I stay in one spot with all my electronics running. So you can, you can set it up so many different ways. You know, you can, you can get like a, you know, a, a 50 amp hour and, and use that just for your electronics and not hook your motor up to it. Or, you, you know, there's so many different ways you can set it up. So there's lots of different options out there for, for everybody that, that you don't need to be, um, you know, jumping in and, and buying just the cheapest thing you see, you know, you want to make sure you get the right tool for what you need. Right. Yeah. And even you could argue on the flip side too, like one thing at, at X2 is doing a great job of, cause they have, a great AGM option. And obviously the last year that came out with lithium is like yeah. the, new, the newest battery is not, doesn't, is not necessarily the best battery where there's, you know, if you're a guy that's only getting out, you know, once or twice a month, you probably don't need to put all your money into lithiums because there's other great options, even if it is down to a lead acid. Uh, but sure. I think from a fish finder standpoint to Steve, like Steve mentioned at the beginning, um, lithium is it brings fish finders to their best capabilities uh, and i've seen a lot of guys talking about lately of the benefits of running their electronics off of uh its own standalone battery and is it that correct a lot of guys are doing that now matt and steve i think i think a lot of guys think that they need to run it on a standalone i i personally don't believe in the standalone i mean i'm not saying that that's wrong there's right. nothing wrong with putting it on a 50 amp hour, 100 amp hour. A lot of guys call me and they want to put a 50 amp hour in their rod locker just to power their live scope and their their front unit. I mean, me personally, I'd rather just put it on one cranking battery or do like like I have and like Matt has where you got two in parallel and that does everything. I mean, mm-hmm. we've run them through the master power switch. They're not on, you know, we don't have to totally separate them. They're already on their own harness. So that's the biggest thing. But there is no interference in my experience from hooking it to a battery that's powering your motor and all your pumps and everything. Yeah. I, I experimented with that as well. You know, I, I've got, you know, I, at the time I had five, five, 12 inch units with live scope and 360, And I had a, just a standalone hundred amp hour lithium battery. And I was like, I'm just going to run everything to that battery, have nothing else hooked up to it. So see if it makes a difference as far as clarity or or power or whatever. But so running all five of those all day with the 360 live scope, I would only get maybe nine hours, 10 hours of use out of that, which for the average person, that's, you know, a normal day of fishing. But for me and some of these long practice days, I'm out there for 13, 14 hours in a row. So that just wasn't feasible for me. That's why I wanted to have two of them, in parallel and it's hooked to my motor so whenever i make a run it's charging that battery back to to where it needs to be so it'll never ever run out whereas you know when you have nothing else hooked up to it that battery's just slowly draining all day and, and once it's done it's done so that's yeah. kind of what I mean that way and i mean it it may be right for for someone else that's only running two or three graphs or even on a kayak or something like that but for for my setup, it was it was not the right right situation. That that's why I don't like that fifth battery idea, you know, a standalone because it's something else you got to maintain. You got to charge 
now you need a five bank charger or a separate single bank charger. And, you know, you're, like you said, your motor is not charging it. So I just, I think for most bass fishermen with a, with a full size bass boat, it doesn't make sense in my opinion. It's better just to have them all on one battery or, or two in parallel. That makes sense. Okay. Um, we're getting a few forward facing sonar questions in here. And before I know, once we start hitting on those, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. Uh, so really fast before we do that, I had uh, one more thing I wanted to ask when it comes to, to graphing. Cause even I, I still play around with it. Uh, and I, I'm quite honestly, I don't know the optimal setting to put it on, but like, and this probably comes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you guys just said, put it at auto, but when it comes to scroll speed, I think that's something that people don't really understand, especially myself, when it comes to scroll speed, whether it's should you it's slower, better, is faster, better. Like what what is your guys opinion when it comes to, to scroll speed? Steve, I'll let Matt touch on that. I don't I don't touch the scroll speed. I've never changed it. I, I don't even turn 2D sonar on on the front. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't mess with the scroll speed. Okay. Yeah, that's why I was trying to push it off on him because I don't even know where to, <laughs> what to change it to. I I leave it however it is, and and exactly what he said. The only place I have 2D sonar or even down imaging is is at the console at the front of my boat. I don't even have the the uh, 2D sonar transducer plugged into my unit. It's just laying there, just as basically a backup or something, just because. I feel like it interferes a little bit with your, your live scope and I'd just rather have no other sound in the water. I just have it disconnected. Okay. I got you. Uh, I've, I've been trying to put around with this, especially from like the hummingbird side. Like I know with side imaging, it's really the one that I've just kind of looked at because from, and again, just for folks listening, take this as a great assault because this is coming from my brain where I don't fully understand how it operates, but the slower the speed would be the more detail, but the faster the speed, the more, the less detail, but more real time, if that makes any sense. I know that's how it is with the 360. So I've adjusted it on the 360, like the, the scroll speed or refresh speed or whatever it's called. And yeah, definitely the, the slower you go, the more detail it is, but the faster it's, it's just refreshing faster. So it might be a little, little blurry or something but you're still getting the the idea on there but right the helixes are great units that's probably one of the best value units out there is the hummingbird helix i've got two of them on my boat so there's nothing wrong with them at all yeah they're fairly they're i'm running two on the dang kayak uh and they're 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 pretty dang bulletproof i, I and i even with me that working with the crew over at Johnson Outdoors, I still talk about it's my biggest pet peeve is using that dang dial to go and <laughs> mark waypoints. Where I, if they could make a helix with a touch screen, it'd make so many people happy. Yeah, my, you know, I got two Lorance and a helix at my console, so like I'll be touching the Lorance screen and then over to the the helix and like start <laughs> pressing the screen. I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh, I forgot we're still in like 2005 here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. So let's, let's start diving into it. Um, we got about 10 minutes or so and I'll, I'll let you guys go. I appreciate you guys jumping on here. This has been fun so far. Um, 
the the forward facing sonar one I know is we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. So that's kind of why I saved it for the end before we distract for uh, all the other different uh, topics I wanted to hit on when it comes to fishing electronics. So with Cayuta Creek Outdoors uh, asked this question. This is gonna kind of spiral a couple of questions I have for you guys. Um, and he's asking any idea on what's going uh, to be the next big technology advancement with either forward facing sonar or fishing electronics in general. And that kind of stemmed uh, one, if you guys actually have opinions where you think it's going to go, that's first part of this. But then two uh, comments on this trend that I'm seeing. Uh, we talked about it briefly offline of guys that are starting to graph with forward facing sonar transducers. Um, Matt, I'll kick it to you first. Kind of like a two parter. Where do you think forward face or not, not just forward facing sonar, but fishing electronics are going to go? Then also, what's your comment on this this forward facing sonar trend with graphing? Man, there's no telling what they're thinking of next. You know, I, like if you look back, shoot, what 15 years ago, side imaging came out. So, like, just think about how far we've came in the last 15 years or 20 years. So, there's no telling what what's coming down the line. But as far as the forward facing sonar goes, like, sure, maybe we can we can get it so that it it's shooting further or you're seeing fish further, but the way mine's set up right now, I can't cast as far as I can see on my live scope. So I don't really understand the point of that because I, like if I see a fish, I want to be able to cast to it. I don't want to just be able to see fish out there. So on that side of it, you know, seeing further would, would definitely uh, probably be the next advancement or maybe clear images or some sort of fish ID to be able to tell the difference in, in fish. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's a way to do that with, I know, you know, on like the, the sonar, you can kind of tell the different arches just based on their air bladders and, and the biology of the fish. So maybe some sort of technology with that, with live scope, but once you use it enough, you can kind of tell by how they act and how they, how they, uh, swim or how that like the blobs are shaped on the screen but i don't know that, that that's uh that's a rabbit hole you could dive down and there's no telling where where it's going to end up in another five years or so but yeah as far as using the live scope at the console i haven't done it yet but i i know that there's been a few of the top names in the sport that have been doing it for a little while and uh it's it's a thing it it's just from what I've heard, I've talked to people who have used it a lot and it's just a lot of information to process. Like it, you, you know, when you're idling at four or five, six, seven mile an hour, you're moving so fast compared to when you're on your trolling motor, you're only going two mile an hour max. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot more information to process quick, but it definitely has a place. I think I, I'm going to mess around with it this summer and, and just see, if it's something that, that helps me or if it's just a distraction and I need to get rid of it, but I'm definitely going to try it for sure. Um, I think it would be good to, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of goes along with the, the side imaging looking for fish off to your side, you know, you, you could kind of use that as well. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. I, I, I'd be curious to hear what Steve thinks of both of those. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I mean, as far as where it's going and, and the new technology, I mean, I think what we'll probably end up seeing is transducers with 
somehow utilizing more of like a live 360 image, basically evolving the perspective and scalp mode, you know, with a wider cone and in built in right now, Lawrence with the active target two just came out with the scout wide bracket. So you can combine two transducers into one view and basically giving you almost a live 360, but it's not really practical for most guys to have two active target twos just for, for scout mode. So uh, I think they got to get that part dialed in. Cause I mean, essentially at that point you would need two, two modules, two black boxes and two transducers plus you really got to have one in forward. So you have three, three reducers. And now you need a nuclear power plant on the boat to run all that stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I think that we'll see it evolve as far as that goes, you know, so you can have combined views and it'll be easier and not so cumbersome with all the different boxes and stuff like that. So that's where I think it's probably headed as far as the technology in the, in the near future. Um, and then as far as, the, the point of using it off to the side, you know, while you're idling and stuff, I mean, it's something that I've contemplated doing and, you know, I, 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 I just haven't really figured out how I want to do it yet. And it's, it's just something else you got to have a battery for. You almost have to have it set up in like an ice fishing setup or, mm-hmm. you know, some of the top guys, I guess they don't care if they're drilling into their boats, but I don't want that stuff you know, drilled into the side of my console or whatever. So trying to figure that out in a neat, clean way. Um, I think there's a usefulness for it. But like Matt said, when you're going five to seven miles an hour, you're just seeing blips and it's it, it's a lot of information to process. And and I just, I think for some people, I'm sure that that's helpful, but I think there's going to be certain key times where that comes into play. But um, I don't, I yeah. think for the average guy, that's not, not going to be practical. Yeah, and I think for for folks that are are curious, when you when you guys are saying by it's a lot of information to process, I think what you guys are regarding to and the fact we're like with side imaging or two D or down imaging, it has a history, uh, mm-hmm. at least a longer standing history. You can you can I can't remember the setting uh, with four that you can have where it's like a the it's a, kind of like a history in a sense where it's just kind of like it changes a different color and it fades. Uh, I can't recall the the setting name. I think it's or, trails or I think it's trails. Yeah. yeah, so like any movement, it'll show a trail behind. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine guys are probably using that for it because, like, I mean, it's 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 real time. Like that's the sonar. It's a real time sonar. You're seeing it in the moment. Uh, and when you're saying it's a lot of information to process, because there is no like long standing history where, like, if you're using 2D side imaging type of deal, you can look down at your phone for a couple seconds and look back up, and you're not going to miss anything because you're going to have a scroll history, especially with Lorance, where you could scroll back. A decent ways. Um, yeah, I, I was just on Cayuga this weekend idling, and I would find myself like dozing off every couple seconds <laughs> just because I was just out there cruising around. So that history was key. I could just scroll back a little bit and see if I missed anything. <laughs> so that's gonna be have to be the next thing because uh, I think it's a thing in cars now, or like they can sense you falling asleep and it like buzzes like the steering <laughs> wheel or something. They're gonna need that for boats, man. <laughs> yeah oh it's funny um but yeah i think that's what in regards to what you guys are getting at is that that's something you really have to pay close close attention to because you look away for a second you, you're gonna miss kind of what you're looking at yeah um, and from, from what i've talked to people that the main thing they're using it for is they're basically kicking the boat into neutral and just scanning the rocks or 
the hump or whatever they're they're looking at. That way they don't have to stand up and get on their trolling motor, and then that draws attention to you. And you know, if there's other boats around, they're like, "Hey, what's this guy doing out here?" And you know, ends up drawing attention to your spot. So you're able to just stay sitting and look like you're idling and just kind of pan over there real quick and see if there's any fish there. But that is just such a rare situation that I don't think it, it'll ever be a, a staple on every boat, but, but you never know, maybe they could incorporate that into some sort of side imaging transducer and have like a forward facing side imaging of some sort and, and yeah. kind of have a, a scroll history to it. Then <laughs> I think that would be, that would be something I would definitely be interested in. Yeah. A rewind button. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause first so from my understanding, there's two different methods that are being done, whether it's like, I believe it's some people are putting it on like a jack plate on like a, as a fix, but then you can also do like a hand steer, like right at yeah. the console that you just kind of drop it in to like a little mount type of deal. But I believe that's the only two methods that at least that I've heard. Doesn't of. one of the guys have one on each, each side of the jack plate? I think he's got like, I don't know, six of them on the boat or something like that. One of the, one of the pro oh, guys. That's uh, talk to you, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure. I think that's who it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got like six live scopes on his boat or something. <laughs> he must right have now. like 12 batteries in the boat. I know. <laughs> Good Lord. That on top of the motor guy just scares me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, it's kind of wild. I mean, uh, I guess on top of that, I mean, you see, you hear six live scopes and I think at this point, we're just kind of so used to seeing some of this craziness happen. Like we've seen guys with seven graphs on their boat before, like just, just madness. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for the eight. Who's going to be the first one to run eight? <laughs> yeah. When's that coming? Do iPads count? Because there might have been eight or eight. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of some of the crappy guides running them on every corner of the boat and having a screen for the clients on every corner. That, that I can see, is a pretty cool concept. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, with that, I mean, Matt, have you had a co-angler yet that has brought their own, like, ice fishing live scope setup? No. So I think it's in the rules that you're not allowed Oh, yeah, that- I read up on the, the BFL forum. It's not allowed because there's no fish finder made that does not have GPS built in, and they're not allowed to have GPS on the boat. Oh, so that's why like, they banned the old like angler buttons and everything, too. Yeah, yeah, because that was a GPS yeah. tracking your, your trip and your day. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never had anyone ask that. I, like, I, I have had co-anglers, you know, want to learn more about it and they're like what the heck are you doing so they'll jump up on the front deck you know they're not allowed to fish off the front deck but they'll jump up there and just watch for a second um you know i run the live scope so i only have that one garmin unit or otherwise i could um display it on the back and have them sit back there and watch it um but that yeah i mean as far as none of them have asked to to use it yet put it that way (laughs) the the funniest thing that i've ever had happen fishing a tournament was last summer in the i forget if it was it was the toyota series on champlain and we were fishing down a shoreline and i panned the the active target over and i saw a suspended smallmouth and i could tell it was a giant and i looked back at my co-angler and his line was in that direction and i saw the drop shot weight hanging out of its mouth and I told the guy, I said, set the hook. And he didn't know, he'd never seen live scope yet. He didn't understand it. And he just looked at me and I said, look, you got to set the hook right now. 
and he reeled up and it was like a four and a half pounder. And he, I've never seen somebody so just, he, he didn't understand what had just happened. They jumped and threw it, but he was just, he was mind blown. Yeah, it's like, what kind of sorcery is this? <laughs> I had a similar situation happen last year as well. Like a co-angler was, he was throwing a big swim bait in the back. And like, I was just fishing around, scanning around. And I happened to, to turn around and, and I got a glimpse of his swim bait. And the next thing I know, I see this big blob coming toward it. And I was like, Hey buddy, like get ready. You're about to get a bite. And he was like, what are you talking about? And then before I could say that his line jumped, he, he set the hook, missed him. And uh, you know, we, we got the boat got turned around a little bit and, and the wind pushed us back and I eventually actually found that fish again. And, and I was able to catch it. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. It was the wind that turned you around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slapped it on well, ten and does a three sixty. I, I, I found that fish and followed it for like another ten minutes, and I was finally able to catch it after just following them for a while. But it, it was a pretty crazy. That is wild. Have you guys seen uh, Matt? You mentioned earlier about seeing farther in regards to forward facing sonar. I think it's what is it the LiveScope XR or I think yeah, it's called XR. Yeah. Have you guys seen anybody try using that yet? I'm sure someone's tried it, but I don't know if you've seen anyone like efficiently try to use it yet. I haven't. Not that I personally know. I know I saw there's that guy Rytech Marine up in Canada. I think he did some playing around with it, but um, nobody that I personally know. It would be interesting, but that transducer is a monster. It's like twice the size of the 34. Hmm. Yeah, and like I just I don't understand what like what that would do for you on your trolling motor. Like with with my LVS thirty four like installed properly. Like I can't emphasize that enough. Like it's got to be installed properly so that you get the best reading. But I can watch an A rig splash at one hundred and twenty feet, and I literally could not cast it any further than that. So what is the point of of seeing much further than that? Because you're just you know, you're not going to be able to target those fish. Maybe it'll point you in the right direction. So you troll right. over there, but like, as far as like actively catching fish on it, like I keep mine 80 to hundred feet, like 90% of the time. Yeah. I think the only use case that's popping into my mind right now that it could be beneficial is if you're fishing predominantly say schoolers and you just want to stay on that school. Yeah. I guess it could be a, a way to do Yeah. I guess that's, that's probably the only use case I could see that me of any advantage because I, I have heard that the clear the detail on it is pretty rough and just in, obviously in comparison to what they have with plus and all that jazz. Yeah, I think it's more to like the the thirty two clarity, you know, with the longer range is my yeah. understanding. Right. Right. Well, guys, I appreciate you big time coming and joining us on the show tonight. I got one last question for you guys but before we kick it to that i just want to ask if there's whether it's forward-facing sonar or it's a screen layout like how you you uh you know you'd organize your screen from using a different especially at the console like when you're graphing along that type of deal any sort of like little say hacks or mods or anything you guys do that just makes you a little bit more efficient that maybe not the most the common angler thinks to do I mean, mine, I already talked about it. I was getting your side imaging across the full length of this or full width of the screen. Like no mm -hmm. matter what size screen you have, you got to make sure your side imaging is the full width of the screen. 
Um, that's that's how I run my unit. So I have two Lowrance 12s at the console. I run one for just strictly mapping and waypoint management. You know, the, the Lowrances are really good with the waypoint management. They got all the different symbols and the you can take notes in there. So like I'm utilizing all of that. I'm, you know, typing out different names for the waypoints and then even going into the notes and being like, you know, rocks, you know, fish here, whatever, you know, you can write out all the notes you want in there and utilizing all those symbols. So I have one unit that I just strictly use all that for. And then the other one next to it, I have uh, side imaging on the bottom. So it, it's probably two thirds of the screen um, height wise and the whole width, that's going to be my side imaging. And then in the top third, I split it halfway between down imaging and sonar. And, and that's just how I run, you know, that's how I run my console. I've ran that for, you know, five, six years now. I just love that setup. And, uh, it's just the perfect setup for me. It allows me to be efficient and, and find an idol those, find all the structure, find the fish from the console, the boat with that setup. I, one thing that I love that you said there is using the notes feature because I don't think a lot of folks, especially if they run Lowrance, think to use that, and that could be such a good tool. I've heard of guys even like using it, like when they have like specific waypoints they fish a lot. Say it's on a home lake that they'll do like they'll put dates, like conditions and mm-hmm. everything in there, uh, and almost to to a point where it makes you wish that the unit had like a, a talk to text because you're just typing. I know. Hey, Siri. I know. You're, you're <laughs> typing in. So I know like, yeah, when I fished like spawn tournaments at Champlain, like I would, I would go into extreme detail. Cause that, you know, it'd be like three pound smallmouth next to tire. Look for, for this on the bank. Cause like, it, you know, the conditions may be good when you find it, but you go back in the tournament and it's cloudy or windy or something. And, and you're like, where the heck is this fish? I know he's here, but you can't see the same. So having all those notes in there is just like helps you find it again, you know, because even even the best GPS antennas in the world, it, it still can be off by 10, 20, 30 feet, you know, when you get back there. So yeah, um, I've even found, you know, if you if your boat direction turns, you know, if, if you're pointing one way and mark a waypoint and then turn around and come back, like, that's it, going to show that you're off 10 or 20 feet on your map. So just, just having all those notes help you find exactly what you're looking for again. So, you know, when you're getting that specific, I'm taking advantage of all that. That makes good sense. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Steve, what about you? I think the the biggest thing touching back to what Matt was saying earlier about the zero degree, I think that's a, a huge overlook on most customers behalf when it comes to forward facing it doesn't matter what brand you have, but the, the factory mounts have an angle built into them so that they clear the lower unit of the trolling motor. And there's been some some new mounts that have come out on the market from Fish Obsessed. And uh, we're just a dealer for them. I, I'm not like affiliated with those guys other than being a dealer, but their mount is the best thing that I've seen on the market because it has spacers built into it that pull that that active target or live scope off to the side of the shaft so it's clearing the lower unit so you're not you know a lot of guys i've seen put a zero degree directly on the shaft of the trolling motor and they think it's working fine but the directly below them the signal is actually being clipped so they're not seeing the stuff below them um so that fish obsessed takes that angle out gives you zero degree plus it's it's cool because you can do scout mode perspective whatever on the fly no tools necessary um and having that zero degree makes all the difference in the world when you're tracking your bait 
because if that thing's at an angle, you're you're not directly when your bait's coming in, you know, you're missing it in part of the column there. Um, right. so, so having that zero degree is, and, and on top of that zero degree, lining it up properly on the shaft of the trolling motor. So going up to a, a rock, a rock, a dock, whatever it is, you can visually see a buoy and lining that, that up on the shaft with that hard piece of structure and making sure it's dead on. That's, that's, that's some juice right there. I've been trying yeah. to keep that under my hat. Me and Steve have talked about that for hours, like... But trying to keep that under my hat lately, but it's it's slowly working its way out. But yeah, that installation is like the most important part of the whole thing. Well, don't worry. We are going to clip it and put it on social and blast it for the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, every, hopefully everyone starts calling Steve and like, hey, let me get let me get installed properly. So that that's the goal. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I that, I mean so busy that he can't fish this summer. So I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he stops taking people's money on Champlain. Yeah, yeah, yeah for real. Oh, that's funny. Well, I was going to save that uh, for the end. I'll get to the our last question here in a second. But Steve, is there anything with bass fishing electronics, whether it's sales wise or anything along those lines, that people can look forward to uh, coming up? No, just, uh, you know, go over to the website. We've got a cabin fever deal there, um, clearance section, whatever. Check that clearance section out. We got some great deals on HDS 12 lives, 9 lives, uh, Garmin 9-inch, 12-inch units. We still got some left. So those deals are, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. But we've got a, a pretty heavy amount of stock right now. I stocked up big time this spring, so we'd be able to carry some of those deals through the late spring into the summer and give those guys the option. So check those deals out. And also we get some pre-owned stuff too. We're always adding uh, trade-ins to the website. So that's more affordable stuff for the guys on a budget, you know, not wanting to buy new. That is one thing I was going to call out. So that's perfect. You made it super easy for me uh, was the pre-owned stuff for, for folks that always are raving about electronics being so expensive really look into that like again guys the website and everything for bass fishing electronics is down below you guys can tap into that i i love that you do the pre-owned the used stuff because you're not one that's going to put something out that's a piece of crap that's completely beaten up type of deal like these are still well usable units and tech that is a much cheaper price than trying to go buy new um so yeah that's a, that's a good tidbit as well for folks that if you think you can't afford it there's there's other options that you can you can take advantage of right, yeah you, you gotta check out the uh the uh power pole or raptor light too i know steve just came out with that recently so if anyone has power poles and wants to put their nav light on there like i don't see any reason why not to have your navigation light on your power poles just because all you got to do is flip the switch and your lights on you know you don't have to dig in the compartment and find your light and everything but steve built a, a super nice one like it's so easy to install and like i've put it through the ringer like i actually had a couple guys in my boat last week and and it got smacked with a few jerk baits and it still works good as new so it i've put it to the test and like it it is legit it's the best powerful light i've ever seen so like that really needs to be checked out and like people gotta start buying them things I think uh, any co-angler you have is going to love you for having that on your power pole versus the pole that's sitting right yeah, there. Exactly. 
Because I mean, I, I've I've experienced it as a co type of deal, and I don't ever. I know some co anglers like to bicker about that thing, like, "Oh, he forgot to take his light pole out or whatever." But it's like when you guys get so invested, like, you don't think about that. That's still there type of deal. Where it's now yeah. that it's on top of your power pole, you don't got to worry about it. It's not in the co anglers' way. Super efficient, easy, smart. Heck, I forget they're even on. So like, I, you know, if I take off early in the morning and have to have my lights on, like. I won't notice that they're still they're they're on till three four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, like they they just run all day. I forget that they're on. So like, Steve's lights probably probably ran like twenty five hours of runtime already, and it's still kicking. So it, I'm really really impressed with it for sure. Yeah, it's glowing in your in your driveway because you forget yeah. to turn it off. It might, be my, it might be on in the garage right now. I don't know. <laughs> it's your nightlight. Let's be yeah. honest, man. <laughs> it's really that bright. I feel like it might be able to light my garage with it. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well, boys, I'm going to let you go with one last question, uh, and it's kind of more on the fun side. And it is, if you guys had to only pick one technology, you're allowed to only have one technology the rest of your fishing career. Which one would you choose? Steve, we'll kick it to you first. Yeah, it's going to be forward-facing sonar. That's <laughs> for me. I mean, that's no secrets about it for me. That's that's. I've had a great few years fishing with it, and um, I rely on it heavily. No-brainer for me. Uh, really fast before we ask Matt the same question, have you tried um, – oh, gosh, I bought a tube of it because everyone else is – Using oh, that, that bait pop. Yeah. Have you tried it yet? Have you, I, not, I just can't. I don't know. Uh, great for the guy making it. And I'm, I'm <laughs> happy for him that he can sell it. But all you're doing is you're making your line thicker. So obviously you can see your line if you put it on your line. I mean, I, I don't know. Just right. buy an LVS 34 with the lithium battery and some gauge wire and you don't need it. <laughs> Yep. and a zero degree mount that's my thought exactly <laughs> like just get your your system set up better and then you can see a crappy jig at 100 feet it doesn't matter like that, that just yeah that seems a little little questionable to me but hey hats off <laughs> all right matt same question knocked over to you so I don't think I would take live scope if I had to have one. I would I would probably take the side imaging just because fishing all around the country, like realistically, like you probably could get away with with just fishing with your side imaging. You know, granted it would totally change how I fish and how I have to do things, but I think I could still be successful with just side imaging rather than with just live scope, you know, cause I feel like I could, you know, fish grass, I, you know, I can fish points in the grass and stuff that I can mark with my, uh, you know, with my side imaging or, or structure. I mean, granted it would totally make me less efficient and, and change how I fish, but I feel like I could adjust and, and still make it work without it. So as much as I would love to have the live scope, but if I had to just have one, I think it's still side imaging and, even even maybe even more important than that would be the mapping you know the mapping still super important because if you get out there and, and turn your map off one time like just just try and make your way back to the ramp you can't even do it if you're not paying attention so like the map is still pretty dang important too like they're, they're all important and when you have them all and they all work together and in, in a system like it makes you extremely efficient on the water but 
man, now that I'm talking, it's hard to choose just one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say I was a little bit ashamed, but I forced myself to go back to the roots. And I was actually, in the end, I was glad I did, but I was a little bit ashamed during the process. Uh, I, I went to the lake on Saturday and I realized one of my cords to my battery was broken. I had to end up rewiring it later that day. Uh, but I was like, okay, no electronics today. We're going to, we're just going to go fishing. We're going to go old school. And I went out there and for a little while there, I was thinking like, man, this sucks. <laughs> and I was kind of saying that I kind of felt ashamed for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we ended up catching them without it, but it was like, I kept sitting there like looking down where it usually is. And I didn't have any, no graphs there. And I'm like, man, I've heard of some of these younger guys just just leaving the tournaments because their stuff stopped working or the battery died or whatever, and they just leave. They say the heck with it. I don't have live scope. I'm out. I yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could do that, but I no, definitely was like, we're gonna no way. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- there comes a point where you can just turn it off. I mean, even having it, like, there comes days where it, you're better off turning it off and just going right. fishing than than staring at it. So like. It, it all goes back to how we started. Like, it's all about the, the angler more than it is the equipment. So, like, the, the same guys are going to do well with or without it. And the, the guys who are really good with it, they know when to turn it off and just go flip trees or on the bank or something. Like, they just have that, that knack for, for fishing, and it's just a piece of equipment that helps them, you know, be, be more efficient at that. Yeah, and I feel like there's – and before – I. I want to make this short because I think this could even be another hour long rabbit hole in itself. But like someone getting into fishing, uh, I feel like there's an importance to learning how to fish and develop those instincts before you even start worrying about electronics and adding that to your tool set where there's, I mean, there's guys that have gotten into fishing that I know recently that fishing for maybe a year and they're like, I want to get 360. I want life scope. I want it all. And then they're like trying to go through it and they're like, I would, don't I'd like take your time at least like get 2d and map it or get and get side imaging. And then you can like kind of work up the totem pole a little bit, but like, I feel like the people that rush into it get, I feel like it's an easy way to get super overwhelmed and not really understand the basics for sure. And like a super underrated or yeah, I guess underrated thing is like boat position. And like when you're staring at live scope, you're not really worried about where your boat's positioned. You're just looking at a screen and looking at fish. So like if you have fish sitting on a piece of cover, like you better learn how to position the boat properly to, to catch those fish, not just look at them on a screen. So like there's times where you got to keep the boat back further than you can see on the screen and, and turn the, the, you know, all the electronics off. So you, you better go back and, and learn how to, drop a marker buoy on a drop off and pull your boat back. And that way you can visibly see how far away it is and, and get really learn those skills of boat positioning before you, you work your way and start using the live scope. But that is like a super underrated thing. And I've learned so much about that the last few years, especially like on the Tennessee river ledge stuff, like boat positions, everything. Like mm-hmm. I never had an issue finding the fish on, on the Tennessee river ledges, but, catching them was always my issue and i I learned i was just trying to fish it more like a a northern small mod lake and was getting too close to them and had to had to back off and and really stay off them and use that boat positioning yeah being able to take wind in or current into account and using that waypoint on gps to 
how you situate yourself. It seems like such a simple task, but see, people seem to have such a hard time with it. I've been in the boat with people that, you know, the waypoint is right in front of us, but they're casting the polar opposite direction thinking that's where the waypoint is. Yeah, and, I know. And, and then just like casting distances as well. Like I, I think your average fisherman, you could go ask them how far they're casting and they don't have a clue. Like they'll say 200 feet. <laughs> like yeah. think they're actually casting 200 feet. But like if you drop a marker buoy and mark a waypoint and then scroll your, your boat so your unit says you're 200 feet away, you can't cast and hit that. Like yeah. it, it is way further than you think. So just learning all those little things, but, you know, using the electronics to help you learn those things is just so important. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, fellas, I really appreciate you guys uh, hopping on the show tonight. I think we dropped a lot of knowledge for folks uh, regarding electronics, getting into it, things that are going to make their life a little bit easier, whether they're upgrading or getting into it for the first time, or even people that have been around for a while that just need to further dial in their stuff. Uh, so appreciate you dropping the knowledge uh, and fellas, we'll be talking to you both here real soon. Sounds good. We'll see you. Thanks for having us on. See you guys. See you. Well, folks, hope you guys appreciated that show. Uh, a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys hopping in the comments, engaging. Uh, always a good time talking with these boys, um, and especially being able to see him at trade shows. It's been, uh, I always love this time of year when there's classic and red crest. And of course there's ICAST later in the year, but, uh, really more the, the, the shows where we got all the pros and people that we get to see all the time. It's good to see Matt, uh, at both shows, but, uh, this was a, this was a great one in regards to fishing electronics being such a hot topic right now. So I hope you guys are able to take something out of it. Uh, if you guys have any questions or things you want to expand on further, uh, feel free to shoot us an email or get in touch um, over social media. Uh, and we'll gladly field those questions, talk about it with you too. And also maybe even uh, create a, um, a, a show to, to follow this with, with Matt and Steve again. Um, we could certainly do that. And Steve is a foundation uh, of knowledge when it comes to electronics, setting up your boat correctly. It's one thing you heard Matt stressing uh, that it is not more important than setting it up correctly. And uh, how important the installation process actually is. And Steve is the best in the business when it comes to that. Uh, so make sure you check out Bass Fishing Electronics. Again, their, their links and all that jazz is down below in our show description, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on MP3. Um, in the same regard to that, if you're buying electronics, buying products, buying mounts, etc., he's got it all. So you can go and tap into him. And if you have any questions, he will uh, be more than happy to help field some questions for you guys. So uh, again, check him out. But uh, guys, looking forward on the show, looking ahead to Friday, we got Tuma time coming back to the Sears Angler Podcast. We got Mr. Keith Tuma, uh, who dropped a big old bag down at Toledo Bend on the Bassmaster Open, coming back to the show. Uh, we're going to get him on, talk some fishing going to be good to get back with mr T keith tuma um but beyond that we got some uh, awesome shows coming up here in the next couple weeks and uh hopefully andy might find some time uh to get back and join us here uh but again we are in no rush because uh there's a new member of the full household as we mentioned on the intro so but folks that is all for now appreciate y'all tuning in we'll see you on friday well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it 
please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.